Uh, my name is Ali. Uh, I'm like one of the leaders of the church, those who don't know me. Uh, and I uh, spent most of my time in Chester Street, you know, around Chester Street. And uh, it's great to be here with you this morning. And Alan has been let on the loose in Chester Street, so we'll see what happens there. Um, just um, because there were lots of notices, I thought I'd just get another one in on the slide. It's a good thing about freaking, you don't need to be very noticed a lot. Um, <laughs> and the but uh, <laughs> um, in two weeks' time, <laughs> two weeks' time, two weeks yesterday, uh, in Chester Street at the Refuge Cafe, we have a men's night. Um, so if you're a man here, you're invited, but we need you to sign up because there's limited places. We've got space for about 60 people. That night we've got a two-course meal, quickly um, uh, led by uh, a guy Tom Murray, who's in the congregation of Chester Street, and there's some people from Durham Public as well, uh, and there'll be others in Chester Street. If you want to help cook, so let me know. But if you want to sign up, um, there's a big flip chart just by the exit door, so you can't miss it. Please put your name on it. If you put your name on it, please commit to coming, so that'll help walk as much as possible. If you can't come, let, somehow let me know. Let someone know that you can't come anymore. Um, because um, it helps us with catering numbers, and once we get to about 60 people, we'll cap it. It would be great to have about 30 from each congregation, so um, we know even bigger. So 30 or 40 from Durham would be great. So please do sign up. Uh, I'd love, love some names of men on that board by the end of this morning. That would be fantastic. Mark James, who's uh, leading, leads one of the regional young churches in, in Gloucester, he's going to be there. He'll be speaking for about 20 minutes uh, on walking together with Jesus as men. There it is, great. There we go. I was right for my information, that's good. And it's 7.30, uh, so please do come if you can, but sign up in the box. And it's great, as it says. Great, uh, we're going to be looking at 1 Samuel this morning. So if you've got a Bible, uh, you want to turn to 1 Samuel. If you haven't got a Bible, it'll be on the screen, so that's fine. And chapter 23. So 1 Samuel is sort of the first about quarter of the way through the Bible. In the first half, which is which is called the Old Testament, and this is all about uh, the people of God before Jesus, the Son of God, came to the earth. And in this section of the Bible, the people of God are people who are um, Israelites, who are Jewish people. And so that's kind of the context of what we're reading. And they have kings, and and Saul is a guy called Saul is currently the king, and a guy called David has been anointed king for the future. So that's the context of the passage uh, that we get to. So one second of chapter twenty-three. Verse 14 to 18, it says this, And David remained in the strongholds in the wilderness, in the hill country of the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul sought him every day, but God did not give him into his hands. David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life. David was in the wilderness of Ziph at Horesh. And Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horesh and strengthened his hand in God. And he said to him, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul my father shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Saul my father also knows this. And the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. David remained at Horesh, and Jonathan went home. Let's just pray. Father, thank you so much for the Bible. Thank you, Lord, that it's a book, uh, but it's more than a book, and your spirit speaks to us through it, Lord. It's life to us, and it challenges us, and it encourages us. Uh, and so, Lord, we just simply ask, Spirit, Lord, would you come and do a great work in our lives this morning, Lord, for these words of the life to us, and would you transform us to your glory and for your kingdom purposes. In Jesus' name, Amen. Uh, so, as a church, we're part of a family of churches called Regions Beyond, uh, which many of us will know. And 
one of our values, we have these values booklets, which some of us hopefully have. If you don't have one, there may be some, I don't know if there are, but there may be some on the information desk uh, at the foyer. If not, uh, we can get some more and put some more out there in, in due course. Um, but there are a level of values that we have as a family of churches. And one of those values is being there for one another's success, which I, I think is great. Uh, it, it's quite distinctive, actually. The more I've been around other churches, and our churches are kind of reasons beyond family, the more I see this really is a core value. Uh, Steve Oliver, who leads our family of churches, really embodies it, and I think it's sort of just rippling out across the churches, which is which is great. Because, you know, we've been talking, as, as, as many of you have been here for, 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 for many weeks, uh, we've been doing this series called Prepare the Way. We're talking about preparing the way for God's kingdom to come on the earth. We're talking about being devoted to God, loving God, giving ourselves to God. But as we see people come to know Jesus, we want to draw them into something. We want to draw them into communities of God's people who are loving and devoted to one another. Don't we? We're not actually, we're not just come into the Christian life and be a lone ranger Christian. It's come into a community who are there for your success. And you can be there for other people's success. And together, we can move forward with Jesus. That's what the Christian life is all about. And so this morning, we're going to look at that value, really, through this story of David and Jonathan. This is the last encounter David and Jonathan have. And there are a few uh, in the chapters preceding it. This is the one we're going to hone in on. And I would like us just to put ourselves in David's shoes to start with. He was David, and it says he is in the wilderness. Who is this David? David is someone who, a while earlier, quite a while ago, short time before, had been anointed a future king of Israel. He was a shepherd boy who was out in the fields, and God called him into the fields, and through prophet Samuel said, you are going to be the future king of Israel. That's quite a high calling, going from shepherd who no one knows about, the king of, king of Israel. And all starts off pretty well. He enters into king, the current king, that's a guy called Saul, enters into his, into his palace, and he's made his personal liar player, and uh, it says that Saul loves David, and it says that Saul puts him over his armies, and David goes out and wins lots of battles, military battles with the armies, and it gets so good, as I say, that all of Israel and Judah loved David. He made he had great public great public prominence by defeating the, the, the great giant Goliath with a slingshot, this massive giant from the Philistines who had come up against the army of Israel, and no one wanted to fight him apart from little David, who came in his sling and shot him in the got him in the head, and he fell down dead, and suddenly everyone loved David, because he was the one, he was the military hero who was rescuing Israel from their enemies. And to top it all off, Saul gave David his daughter as a wife. And so, you know, it's like he's living the dream, the good life. This is the good life. Everyone loves him. He's having a wife. He's, he's got this kind of great job in the king's palace. He's doing well. And then suddenly, this smooth trajectory from shepherd to future king gets rudely interrupted because the attack starts coming. Initially, King Saul starts just throwing uh, uh, spears at him. Not too bad. Um, but then he goes on the all-out attack and he sends out his men and they go after David and they hunt him down and they chase him and they chase him and here he is on the run and he finds himself in the wilderness of Ziph. I don't know if anyone here feels like David or has ever felt like David. You feel like you're in that wilderness maybe emotionally 
physically or spiritually. It feels like the enemy is, is after you and you're being attacked on every side. It feels like no one else is with you. You are lonely, you are isolated. The whole world seems to be against you. It's that victim mentality. Sometimes justified, you might say, because people are against us. It is really difficult. I'm not saying, I'm not trying to minimise the problems. But that's the reality. We enter into this place where we think everyone is against us. And we're in the wilderness. But I want us to notice something else about verse 14. It says, David remained in the wilderness of Zin. And then the next, next line says, And Saul sought him every day, but God did not give him into his hand. Here's the hidden reality. The spiritual reality in the wilderness is that God is with David, he is protecting David, and he is not giving him into the enemy's hands. And so even when everyone seems to be against us, even when it feels like we are isolated and lonely and the wilderness is all around us, the reality is, if you are someone who has who who joined yourself to God by believing in Jesus Christ, he will never leave you or forsake you. He is with you in that wilderness, and he is protecting you from the enemy. The trouble is, what we see, as David saw in verse 15, the next slide down, David saw that Saul would come out to seek his life. So what he sees with his physical eyes is the attack of the enemy. That's what they see, the challenges coming against him. But the spiritual reality is that God is not giving him into his hands. And so sometimes we need to have our eyes opened, not to see the, 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 uh, the physical reality of all the challenges that are around us, but the spiritual reality of God with us, protecting us, standing alongside us. <clears throat> and we need to strengthen ourselves in God. Later on in chapter 30 of this book, one Samuel says that David strengthened himself in God. In other words, he spoke the promises of God to himself. He, he, he realised who God was. He realised that God, never, God, God has promised that he will never leave me or forsake me. These promises are true for us as well. He says, he, he spoke the promise that God works all things for good for those who love him. He spoke the promises of, of the love of God, which is unconditional, which no matter how much we do wrong, no matter how, how far astray we go, God is with us. He is for us. He will never leave us. He is so for you. He loves you no matter what your background, no matter what your past. God is with you and he is for you this morning. And that's amazing. And so David can speak these things. And when we're struggling, when we're in that low place, we can speak these truths to ourselves and strengthen ourselves in God. The trouble is, it's quite hard to do that, isn't it? In chapter 30, David did it. In chapter 23, it seems like he can't do it. He needs some help. Because what happens? Jonathan, verse 16, Saul's son grows and went to David at Horish and strengthened his hand in God. He needed someone to come alongside him and strengthen his hand in God. I need that a lot. I need brothers and sisters in Christ to come alongside me to strengthen me in God. That's how we were created. We weren't created to be isolated individuals. It says at the right at the beginning of the Bible, it says that God created everything. He created everything. I won't go through the whole list. The animals and plants and light and dark and everything else. And some moon and stars. And he said it's good. It was good. It was good. Then he created humanity and said it's very good. And the first thing we hear that is not good is when he sees that man is on his own. It is not good that he is alone. And sometimes we jump and say, well, that's all about marriage. It's not first and foremost about marriage, it's first and foremost about community, that we were created as 
human beings to be in community, to need other people, to not be lonely, isolated individuals in the wilderness, but we need one another. Hebrews chapter 10 says this in verse 24, Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let's consider how to stir one another up towards love and good works. That's what Jonathan did here. Let's consider how we can stir one another up, how when, when we see others who are down, who are isolated, who are in the wilderness, who are under attack, how can we go to them and strengthen their hands in God's? That's what we want to be, we want to be a community where this is happening all over the place. You see, some of us have written ourselves off from being Jonathan's to others. Because we see ourselves as David's all the time. We see ourselves as the victims. We see ourselves as the ones who need others to come and help us and to strengthen us. And actually, we don't have, have it in us to strengthen other people. I want to tell you, you do. If you're a follower of Jesus, and if you're not, you become a follower of Jesus right here today. Then God, by his spirit, has placed something in you, which means you have something to offer other Christians and those who aren't yet Christians. You have, you have a love to give them. You have a, a, a truth um, from the Bible. You have uh, just the Spirit oozing out of you, because the Holy Spirit, as he fills us, starts oozing out of us. That's, doesn't use that word in the Bible, but we'll stick with that. Draw <laughs> draw other people into a place of strength alongside you. And so I believe God's saying to, to us as a church this morning, um, and, and I, I preached this in Chester Street a few weeks ago, I think it's across the whole, whole church, that he wants... Jonathan to arise. He wants a man of the church to be a church who is shining so brightly with love for one another, strengthening one another, that it just ripples out into the surrounding towns, cities, and villages. Thank God that's Wow! We've got this new building over here. Great. But we don't want to be hiding away in the building. We want to be out there sharing the love of Jesus as people come in. We also do want them to see something so distinctive. Presence of God. Yes, we see a lot of that phrase, but more the presence of God. We also want presence of God, not just in kind of individual nice um, TV experiences, but the presence of God as we love one another. You know, that's how we know, people know that we're his followers, by the way we love one another. That's what it says in the Bible. And so, for the rest of this morning, that was sort of the introduction, um, but it was a long introduction. I want to look at two questions. Who was Jonathan? Who was Jonathan? And what did Jonathan do to strengthen David? Okay, so who was Jonathan? It says in verse 16, Jonathan, Saul's son. That's quite important. So we said Saul is the current king. Okay? Saul is the king of Israel, and his son is Jonathan. And that means Jonathan is the rightful heir to the throne. He should be the next king of Israel. So Jonathan has the most to gain by knocking David off, by, by, by letting Saul kill him, because he will then become king. And he has the most to lose by helping David to become king and to protect him and to strengthen him. So here is someone who sacrificially lays himself down, his position, his status, his rights, for someone else. That's what it means to have the heart of a Jonathan. It means to have the heart of a servant, which is what we're called to as followers of Jesus. It means to have the heart where we're not looking after our position, but we're able to give out to other people. It means it has the heart where we're so secure in who we are in Christ, and what God has called me to do, and us to do, that we can start giving away to other people, giving away responsibilities, 
in a way, power, if you like to use that word, but you know, releasing to other people. It means that uh, we're able to, to just be who we are and who God always made us to be without trying to grab this, 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 this title or this position. It means we're not competing or comparing. That's the opposite of a David, a Jonathan culture. That's what we call an anti-Jonathan culture. Uh, I think that's what I call it today. And an anti-Jonathan culture is one where we're competing and we're comparing and we're jostling for position. And that is the culture on the whole, and the generalisation that we see in the world around us. That's what I see. Maybe Durham is different, but that's what I see uh, in Great London, Chester Street, where I spend a lot of my time. It needs to be different. I find it hard, because I like to look out for number one. There's a little holding up. Because, because I am selfish, and I've, I've said that from this place many times, because it's still true. And I will be selfish to the day I die, but fortunately God is making me less and less selfish. Um, and I have a wife who's not less selfish, so she challenges that all the time in me. But, you know, this is the heart attitude we need to have. We need to have that of a, a Jonathan heart, where actually, we see, I am really not a big deal. And you are really not a big deal. Sorry about that. But you're not. Jesus is the big deal. But that, or alongside that, the church, together, as the bride of Christ, it talks to the Bible about the church being the bride and Jesus being the bridegroom. And he, we, by becoming a Christian, you can't enter into this marriage with, with Jesus. And, and the church, together, is the bride. It's not me and you individually, but together, corporately, we're called. We're the big deal. We're the hope for the world. We can change this place, this, 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 this region, as we work together, as we love one another, not as we all go into our individual things and never relate with one another in love. We need to allow God to kill all the pride and self-centeredness in us. Quite literally, we need to die to ourselves. Yeah, literally. Die to ourselves. <laughs> Seriously, I will never work in you, like come up with memes. We're going to die to ourselves. <laughs> so there's this, there's this giving over of ourselves to the purposes of God. It says the Bible is Again, when you become a Christian, not only do you become the bride of Christ, we also uh, die with Christ and rise again to a new life. Becoming a Christian isn't just a say a prayer and life goes on as actually that's what, that doesn't mean you're a Christian to say a prayer. Becoming a Christian means that you are repenting, you're turning around, you are dying to your way of life, and you're rising to a new life with Jesus at the centre, and it's a life which is focused on Him and loving other people. Like we're doing it perfectly, but it's a journey we're all on as Christians. And so that's who Jonathan was. He was Saul's son who gave away his rightful place to another, sacrificially. And one of the, back in chapter 18, um, uh, yeah, okay, check out, I will read it. Back in chapter 18. Uh, verses 1 to 5, there's a really powerful image of, of, of David doing this, Jonathan doing this. It says this, Jonathan was next to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Here's the key to verse 3. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armour, and even his sword, and his bow, and his belt. That might not sound like much, but what this is, is what the stuff he's given to David would be his royal 
royal stuff, royal clothing, his robe, his sword, his belt. So he is, this is like a symbolic abdication of his rightful place as the future king. He is saying, David, I am laying myself down, I'm not looking after number one, but I'm willing to, to strip off, as it were, my rightful position and give it to you so that you can be successful wherever you go. I'm here for you. I'm here for your success. And as the story goes on, we see it again and again. He loves him, he strengthens him, he supports him, he protects him. And this time, definitely metaphorically, God is asking us all to strip off <laughs> those that 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 self-centeredness, <laughs> that the, the clothing which says it's all about me, and to place it on someone else and say, actually, or place it first of all on Jesus and say it's all about you, and then to say, actually, I'm now here for you, and I'm 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 here for you. It doesn't mean we completely neglect ourselves. It says that we're going to love other people as we love ourselves. So we still can love ourselves and look after ourselves so that we're in a place where we can give away and love other people. But it's where the focus is that's key. So that's what Hussle was. And secondly, what did, who Jonathan was? Again, when I did this the other week, I got my name wrong. Jonathan's called him David, I get him confused. Um, <laughs> secondly, what did Jonathan do to strengthen David's hand? Four things. Number one, he was proactive. Verse 16, if you go back to the text, that'd be great. Verse 16 says this. Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David Horish. Again, we can skim over those words and not. He rose, he got up, and he went. He was proactive. If he just sat around in the king's palace, David would not have been strengthened. You have to be proactive. To actually strengthen someone, it takes some effort. And it takes some energy to get up and to go. Sometimes it might be a message that you can send, or an email, or a, or a, or a phone call. And that's, that's good. It's not as good as physical presence. But sometimes that's, you know, we're all finite human beings from being everywhere at once. But it's this mindset of being proactive in doing it. So one way we can be proactive is to ask God, who do you want me to strengthen? God, is there someone you put around me at the moment who you really want me to be praying for and to go into? To, get, to go to and to encourage and to be proactive in getting alongside them. And if you don't do that, can I encourage you to do it right now? Even as I'm speaking, you say, God, just drop someone, a couple of people in my heart, you want me to, to be strengthening, to come, in, to come alongside and strengthen in you. Another way we can do it is something called Emmanuel Communities. And these, again, I'm not going to notice it, these are, these are, uh, are small groups, if you like, across the church. These are smaller communities where we meet during the week, where we can uh, pray together, read the Bible together, worship, uh, different groups of different things, play games in my group, every week, but you know, different, different things, and just have, just, just help each other to focus on Jesus and to strengthen one another. And a big setting like this is chaos, let's be honest. Pretty chaos, trying to get across to especially if you've got children. Even if you don't have children, it's chaos trying to get a coffee before it runs out. And that's not a joy. The tea and coffee has done very well. But it just gets too quickly because the more people get through to it goes. Especially if you're a talker like me. And, uh, and it's hard to do that. But in these smaller communities, you can come alongside one another. You can strengthen one another. You can encourage one another. And so can I encourage you, please, if you don't know what they are, where they are, uh, there's some of the notice boards out in the, in, in the way you can uh, talk to me uh, and we can uh, try and connect with you. 
But another way, or another part of this being proactive, is just to be vulnerable. Because if I'm going to be a Jonathan to you, if I'm going to strengthen you, I can't do it unless I really know what's going on in your life. And so if you wear a mask and say, oh, that's fine, everything's fine in my life, then I can't really be praying for that issue that underneath is really going on. I can't be speaking truth of God into that issue. So to be proactive, it kind of works both ways. As, as people who are struggling, we need to be vulnerable and share where the struggles are. I'm not saying share with everyone, but with people who you trust, who are coming alongside you, let's create that culture. Okay, so Jonathan was proactive. Secondly, he was committed. Verse 18 says the two of them made a covenant for the Lord. A covenant is this committed promise to be friends, to be um, supporting one another before God. One of the worst things we can do is to say someone that will support them and strengthen them and then love them because it's nothing. And forget about them and then three, four weeks later they've not heard anything from them. And to be honest, that's something which I know I've had in the past, and I've had to, in preparing this, go up to one or two people to apologise. Because it is easy to, in the business of life, to say to someone, how are you doing this? They share their heart, and then you never actually come back to them. A couple of weeks later, say, actually, how's that going? Can I pray some more? And so can I encourage us? Let's be committed. So we can't do this with everyone, but we can do it with maybe, depending on our life circumstances, one, two, three people who we can uh, have this committed, covenant relationship with, where we're encouraging them and we're strengthening them, in God. It might be that it just lasts for a season, but actually there's someone that God puts in your heart and you're encouraging them and you're strengthening them, and then a few months later, together you say actually that you know the friendship's changed a bit or whatever it is, and that's fine, but make sure that conversation's had rather than just leaving them and then they think, oh, person maybe they never really cared about you after all. Because actually that might work for them in the worst in a worse place than they started. Some of us might need to do some apologizing to others in the church, actually. And that's good. Saying sorry is a really good, really thing. 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 13 in the New Testament um, talks about we can do all sorts of things but not have love. Then we're nothing. And so to add one in, we can be a great church doing all sorts of things, all sorts of programs, but if we have not love for one another, then we're nothing. We have not loved one another, then we're nothing. Because that is the true mark of a Christian. You read one John, one book in the New Testament, it just says that's, that's how we know who the Christians are, by the way they're loving one another. Thirdly, Jonathan paid a cost. Just think about it. Jonathan, by going to David and strengthening him, was risking the fury of King Saul's death. Saul hated David. And so if he found out that Jonathan had gone to help him and protect him and to strengthen him, he would have been mad and may well have killed his son. And so there's this, and so there's this sense in which he puts himself at risk. He pays a cost to strengthen David. And we're not probably going to have to die to strengthen other people in this church family. But we are probably going to have to pay a bit of a cost, like sacrificing some time or some money being to classic ones, to actually get up and go and strengthen someone is costly. We're going to say too much, but it'll, the cost will work its way out in different ways, but it's fundamentally not putting myself at the centre, and that always means a cost. And fourthly and finally, 
in strength of David. How did he do it? Verse 17. He, he overcame fear with God's promises. Verse 17. Jonathan said to David, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul my father shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Fear is a killer. Anxiety, which is just fear by the name, no form of fear, no great form of fear, is, 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 is literally kills people, as, as we're aware, just this thing can so get a hold of us. I struggle with anxiety. We, I mean, it's, we all struggle with anxiety to different levels and fear. And we need people to come into our lives, to be Jonathan's, and to help us overcome fear and anxiety with the promises of God, with the truth of God. We can go to someone and we can speak the promises of the Bible over their life. Obviously, some of us are really new to the Bible, maybe not, but as we start getting, there's, if you just buy a book of promises from the Bible, that, that will help, or buy them online, and just list a few of them. And just, when, when someone's struggling, just say a truth. Like, like what I said earlier, God will never leave you or forsake you. That's a truth you can say to someone. You can say that, that God is with you. And, and obviously, sometimes there is, there is this, um, I'm not saying that this all we do is kind of fire out these like promise bullets or when we go or we go and just say a promise and off we go again because that's not particularly pastorally sensitive or helpful. Sometimes it's helpful not to say anything. So I'm not saying just kind of speak all the time. But there are promises at the right time that we can speak to people and there are also prophetic promises in people's lives. And so if you aren't currently desiring a gift of prophecy, then I encourage you to desire the gift of prophecy because we're commanded to do that in one Corinthians chapter 14. And why? Prophecy is those who are, I don't know, prophecies, hearing God's voice for a particular situation or person or community um, at, at a particular time. And so, um, if I could hear God's voice for someone in this and, and bring a promise from God that's, that I've heard from God to that person, that will strengthen it. And so it's a really loving thing to desire. That's why we're commanded to desire it, because it helps us to love people by speaking promises from God over their lives. We're all David. Sometimes. Some of us are going to be David's right now. Struggling in the wilderness, feeling lonely and isolated, feeling under attack. We're all called to be Jonathan's as well. Coming alongside people, being proactive, paying the cost, being committed, overcoming fear with promises from God, laying down our personal rights and ambition for the sake of other people. All David's. The truth is, we're all Jonathan's too. And God's saying, Jonathan's arise. Let's be that community. But I could just say, Jonathan's arise. We could say, right, let's go to do it. <laughs> you know, the way that Jonathan's truly arise is by seeing, setting our eyes on the greater Jonathan. The greater Jonathan is Jesus Christ himself. Because we know that Jesus, that is God. The Son of God, God Himself, come to earth as a human baby, growing up, becoming a man, dying on a cross, rising from the dead, now seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven, forever and ever and ever. That is who Jesus is. In case you don't know that. This Jesus came to earth and died for us to strengthen us. More than to strengthen us, to, to revolutionize and to transform our lives for the better. 
This Jesus, this great Jonathan, was very proactive. He rose from his throne in heaven forever and ever and ever. He has been God. He has been seated in this place of authority and power in heaven. If you want power, look at Jesus. There's no greater power than Jesus. And he arose and went to this earth as a baby. He was incredibly and is incredibly committed. When Jesus died on the cross 30 years later, that's about 2,000 years ago, when he died on the cross, just before he did, he ate this meal with his friends, and he broke bread, and they shared wine together, and he said, this is my body which is given for you. And then with the wine, with the cup, he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. In other words, this is represents my blood which I'm about to shed for the world. And in my blood is this new promise, this new agreement of unconditional love for humanity. And so when we look at the cross, we see God saying, I am committed to you. Jesus says, I am so committed to you, I am willing to shed my blood for you. And truly, 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 nothing can now separate you from my love. He was proactive. He was committed. It was incredibly costly, as we've just been hearing about. But it's not just a physical pain of the cross. When Jesus died on the cross, he took your sin, he took my sin, that is our rejection of God, our selfishness, and our, the way we hurt other people. He took it all. He took it all. He endured it all. And he, he experienced hell. He experienced the punishment that my sin and your sin deserve, that we deserve to pay for it. He died it in our place. That is costly. We think the cross is costly, but that's just when we see the physical pain. There is a spiritual, emotional pain that Jesus experienced so that we can go free. And he overcomes fear with promises. Three days later, Jesus rose from the dead. Hallelujah. If say dead, it's a sad story. We must have gone but he rose from the dead, and therefore he defeated sin, he defeated Satan, and he defeated death once and for all. All the things that we fear now no longer have any hold over us. We just sang about that earlier today. They have no hold over us any longer. That is good. That's why earlier I was saying, let's get a bit cheery, because these things have been defeated. Jesus is the victor, and now it says, in him we are more than conquerors. And so, I'm not minimising the wilderness that some of us maybe right now are in. What I'm saying, there is a greater Jonathan who wants to come to you and strengthen you, who has died for you, who has risen again for you. And there is a community around you who I pray will be increasingly, because we are already, we heard that the members were introduced, increasingly a community who devote one another, devote themselves to one another in love. Let's fix our eyes on Jesus and let's follow his example. Let's pray. If the bag can come up, that'd be great. There'll be some people here this morning uh, who maybe just have heard this message about Jesus for the first time that he is this one God who came to earth, died for our sins, and offers his life of freedom. He's defeated death, sin, and Satan. He's risen again, and this morning he's saying, I'm standing at the door and I'm knocking. 
it were. I'm, I'm, I'm ready to come in and, and meet with you and set you free and, and bring a new uh, life in all its fullness, is what the Bible speaks of, that Jesus brings. And he wants to bring that to you this morning. And if that's you, just simply now, I'm just going to pray a prayer. If that's you, I just encourage you just to quietly just say it with me. Jesus, I want to receive this gift of freedom through your death on the cross that you're offering me. My life is often a wilderness. It is a mess. It is barren. It is hard. It was under attack. Yet thank you that you have come to me. You've died for me. And I receive your forgiveness. I say sorry for the mess that I make of my life so often. Sorry for rejecting you. Sorry for hurting other people. Lord, today, would you come into my life? Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Help me to follow you as my Lord and my Saviour. Just wait a moment. Holy Spirit, for those who maybe have said that, so I pray right now, you just come to them and confirm in their hearts the work you're doing. It says in the Bible that it's good to, not only, it's good to kind of confess that we uh, have chosen to follow Jesus. If, if, if you've prayed that prayer quite hard, I'd love it if you just able to put your hand up uh, so I can see, just so I know I can come to you afterwards. Don't worry about it. If there is anyone, uh, I'd love to know that. Great. Thank you. <coughs> and for others of us here this morning, we hear the, the call from God. Be filled basically with the love of Jesus for other people. And I just feel like that's, that, that God just wants to do that as we, as we worship and wants to fill us with His Spirit, wants to pour His love into our hearts. So if we could stand, that would be great. Holy Spirit, I just pray. Come, fill us, fill us with your almighty love. <laughs> Lord, we don't want to be people who who are just the same as everyone else around the world. We want to be such a distinctive community who are filled with love for one another that it stands out, that it's attractive. Lord, we repent of self-centeredness, we repent of selfishness, that living for myself mentality, Lord, it's so easy just to get into. And Lord, we give ourselves afresh to you and to your purposes. The command of God is love God with everything you have and love other people as yourself. And so, Lord, help us to fulfill that, we pray. In Jesus' name, let's just worship. If during this long, if you want to receive prayer for anything particularly spoken to you, um, anything I've said, um, there'll be some uh, people over in this corner, my right, your left, with lanyards on, we'd love to pray for you. Uh, just during this long, come up uh, for prayer, that would be great. Otherwise, we can sit together to worship God close.